I'm here again with Preston Dennett. Today, we're going to discuss different categories of UFO encounters and particularly how they may or may not relate to Lake Shasta. Preston, do you want to outline what those types of encounters are? Which of them have been traditional? And then if there's been any new categories added to the mix over the last several years? Yeah, the UFO phenomena, while it's been around for millennia, um, has it really only come under scrutiny recently, scientific studies since the modern age of the UFOs, 1947 and onward. So since then, people have been trying to you know, find ways to categorize this and quantify it and so forth. And J. Allen Hynek is very well known in this field. He's called the father of modern ufology. And he was the astronomical consultant for the Air Force's Project Blue Book, which is an official government UFO study group. And I'll put study group in quotes, kind of, because it's controversial. Right. And Jalen Hynek became very much disenchanted with it because he felt that, that I mean, he discovered there was a cover-up and the best cases were not even reaching Blue Book. That's sort of a tangent, but at any rate... Uh, as astronomical consultant, it was his job to sort of see, you know, come up with an explanation, an astronomical explanation for some of these sightings and see if there was one. And it was he who devised the first real categorization of this subject and divided these various types of encounters, because there's all different types, into three main categories, which would be close encounters of the first, second, and third kind. And a close encounter of the first kind is a simple sighting, often an anomalous light and just starting around in the sky, uh, nothing really more than that. But these objects sometimes come much closer. And there was a smaller category of cases in which they were clearly affecting the environment in some way, perhaps landing and leaving you know, crushed grass or burned grass or affecting the atmosphere in some way, or uh, car engines or radios or what have you, they are affecting the environment. And that would be a close encounter of the second kind, one that affects the environment around this object. And an even more rare category would be close encounters of the third kind. And that's when people have direct contact, uh, very much like we see in the movie, close encounters of the third kind. Mm -hmm. uh, still one of my favorite movies <laughs> by the way on this subject because and he appeared in it by the way he had a tiny little cameo well didn't right. they also have like the like those hand scanners that they had in the movie were actual hand scanners in s1 or sorry s4 in nevada where bob lazar was like bob lazar oh. had, had described these things and those are the kind of the exact things he described but i think i believe he described them before the movie came out I, I don't actually i don't know the, the timing on that but there's some eerie coincidence between the two yeah well the movie was very well done and uh spielberg clearly had done his research and uh i mean some of the events in there like when uh richard dreyfus is you know stopped there on the road and his truck is rattling and the sign the street sign is going ding, 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 ding. that's taken directly from the lock raven dam case and the uh I forget the guy's name, Stokes was his last name, a rocket scientist who had leaned out of his truck and got a sunburn from the UFO. 
So yeah, he took details from actual cases, uh, which is, so that these are the categories, right? Closed cars is the first, second, third kind. And then of course people started being taken on board and people are talking about closing cars is the fourth kind. Mm -hmm. And uh, more recently since, I would, well, I mean, this actually stretches back quite some time to the fifties and sixties, but in the 1990s really started to become popular of, and I'm not sure who coined this first, but it's close encounters of the fifth kind, which is human initiated contact. And this is differentiated from the other cases because this is more intentional where someone through some action of their own is able to initiate or affect the behavior of a UFO. So by this, I mean going out and meditating or using lights to call them down or when you're in the midst of an encounter, flashing your headlights and it communicates back to you, or this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to tell you, I, I was kind of on the forefront of research with this because I, let's see, it was in the early 1990s, I had interviewed this gentleman by, by the name of Arnie Weiler, who worked for NBC and uh, was doing a little publicity stunt for NBC in Santa Monica at the George Page Museum outside. And they had set up these pitchel lights. Pitchel lights are big computerized lights that you can sort of program to flash in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And they'd set them up with this uh, special effects expert by the name of Rick Liebert in the shape of a peacock's tail for the NBC logo. And they turned them on and it was the shape of, you know, almost a full disc. And these are big bright lights and turned them on and they start flashing. And the guy interviewed Arnie Weiler was shocked to see these two lights come swooping down out of the sky. And they got quite close and he freaked out and he pointed them out to the guy who set up all this Rick Lieber. And he's like, look, oh my God, what are those? Those look like UFOs. And Rick Liebert looks up at them and he's like, oh yeah, that happens all the time when I do this. Uh, and and <laughs> so this is what the story Arnie Weiler is telling me. I'm like, you're kidding. He's like, no, these are, I don't, couldn't tell you what these were. Like, but I saw them come swooping down, hover, and then dart away as if they were looking, inspecting what these were. I'm like, you got it. I want to talk to Rick Liebert. You got to put me in touch with this guy. He's like, sure. You know, I know him. And he did. And I spoke with Rick Lieber and he verified that incident. And I'm like, well, Arnie said this, you said that there are other incidents like this. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, I don't pay a whole, much, a whole lot of attention to it. You know, it's happened a lot. I'm like, well, you know, can you tell me a, an example? If this has happened before, surely you can remember it. He's like, well, probably the best time was, I think it was 1978 or so, late 70s. And he had gone down to San Diego to do a publicity stunt for a radio station. And they contacted the FAA because they set up a 22 watt argon laser, a green argon laser on the top of what was then the tallest building in San Diego and put, put you know, turned it on, did the whole deal. There was like 10 people or so on top of this building. And this laser goes on and it plays in beat to various rock music and Pink Floyd and what have you. It was a publicity stunt. Mm -hmm. And he says he, they turned this thing on, shot the laser up in the sky, and 
this V-shaped objects come swooping down and uh, had circular lights along each V. And he said there was a second object quite high up, but this one came really low, about, couldn't estimate for sure, but anywhere from 20 to 50 feet over the top of the building, low enough where it covered their entire view of the sky and they could hear it it made a low humming noise and it was matte black he said really dark black with no reflection and these very large circular lights three or four along each v and just moved slowly over the top of the building and all 10 of them saw it and i'm like wow you know that's so this is a close encounter of the fifth kind through some action of our own, we call this stuff down. And uh, it was 1992, a gentleman by the name of Stephen Greer, a medical doctor, formed a group called CSETI, the Center for mm -hmm. the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and really sort of spearheaded the CE5 movement, which is now very popular. And there are many thousands of people doing this regularly. And uh, he, you know, he wrote a whole paper on this and actually cited my two cases. He was like, here's how you do it. Here's a case from Preston Bennett. This is the best one I could find. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> and here's another case. And he cited a few more and uh, formed various chapters all across the US. And uh, I, of course, became a charter member and listened to him speak. He came here to LA. And this was that same, let me see, this was August of 1992. I had just had a sighting up in Shasta, which we, we discussed in an earlier show, uh, basically doing this sort of thing, using lights to call down UFOs. And uh, we, he did his lecture. This is at the Marriott Hotel in Woodland Hills, which is, you know, part of LA in a very densely populated area. And we found this little remote area 20 miles away on the edge of the city santa susanna it's called and it kind of overlooks la but it's you know a couple of miles of wilderness around you and brought a group of 40 people who had attended the lecture not everyone just those who wanted to come there and see if we can call down a ufo <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, right. We're going to call one down. I, I was, you know, finding out UFOs were real, ironically, made me more skeptical because I had to re-question everything. Yeah, no, look, it seems, it, when, when, you, when you talk about it, it, it seems, not you, but when people talk about this, it seems crazy, right? But my view is, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to try. Yeah, I'm just pointing out that I was not like a rabid believer right? at this right. point. I was just there because i wanted to see yeah exactly it doesn't hurt to, to try this. yeah and so, and so we hiked down to this location a lot of us which was kind of you know awkward and slow but we all kind of gathered in this little field and honestly no sooner had we gotten there and someone shouts what's that <laughs> and of course we all look up and way the heck up there again this had to be only guessing twenty thousand feet up I mean, high up there, this was this light. And it was enormous. If, 
it looks very much about the size, the apparent size, let me underline it, apparent size of a half moon. It was a glob of light, a blob in a very irregular shape. And at the zenith, straight up, and moving across the sky in a way that was far too quick to be anything normal. And I'm looking at it thinking, what is that? Now, where was this again? Um, You've already mentioned it, but... Santa Susana, okay. um, which is just, let me see, it's in this northwest San Fernando Valley area. Okay. Uh, just above Chatsworth. Uh, I mean, you can look this up on a map. It's, but Southern California, outside mm -hmm. LA. And uh, everyone's gasping because, I mean, anyone, it's, it's dramatic. I mean, you just don't see stuff like this every day. And it was, I don't know, 30, 40 stars put together. I mean, this was not a star-like object. This was massive. And, you know, you see planes all the time and they're, you know, red light, a green light, a white light and moving along or a helicopter or satellites, tiny little star like that. This was big. And, and plus you can hear planes and helicopters. Yeah. And so I'm looking at it thinking, well, you know, we saw it for maybe five seconds. But in the first three seconds, I went, dung, 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 dung. not any of these conventional things. And uh, I'm not going to say it was an alien spacecraft because it looked strange to me. It was a blob of light, but I don't know how else to describe it. And I found it peculiar or coincidental, maybe, that it showed up right when we were going out there specifically to see something. Because this was not my first rodeo, so to speak, of going out there and looking for stuff. And uh, we joined, a, I mean, we had a little charter group of CSETI members about 10 of us who were the core group. And over the next five years or so, we would go out once every couple of months or so and do this kind of work where we'd sit around, meditate, sort of put out the thought, I want to see a UFO, <laughs> um, flash our lights, uh, this sort of thing. And we were successful on a number of occasions. Well, uh, let's, 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 be, let's be more specific. So let's say someone were to do this. Let's start with Kit. So what should they bring with them? Uh, well, like if they had a packing list. Yeah, um, obviously warm clothes and things like this. And I don't mean to be facetious with that, but that it's late at night and people will get cold and they end up retreating because they're, they're not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So you wanna bring your basic survival gear, <laughs> warm clothes, water, and so forth. Uh, but in terms of studying UFOs, uh, camera is always a good idea. And uh, not only that, but a recording device. Mm. Because uh, it's good if you can you know, bring this up to your mouth and start narrating what you're seeing. Uh, and it adds a level of corroboration because details slip our memory very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you can record what's going on in various ways, this is very helpful uh, because people, I mean, you can, if you interview people who at the scene of a car accident, they will give widely varying testimonies uh, of what a suspect looks like or, a, you know, any 
event. People are like, oh, I don't remember it that way. So if you can immediately record uh, what's happening, that's very helpful. A pad of paper to sketch what you saw um, mm -hmm. is also very helpful. Uh, anything to help record this compasses uh, because these objects are known for emitting magnetic fields. Yeah, because your compass might spin, things like that, mm -hmm. right? And in fact, there are on the market various UFO detectors, uh, which are actually surprisingly simple and do work. And have you know, people have had these in their homes and they go off. Basically, it's something that detects a magnetic field and, you know, it will give a shine a little light or give off an alarm you run outside and boom there's something flying over your house uh so you can bring one of those if, if you're really into the whole technological aspect you can bring all kinds of stuff radiation detectors compasses magnetic where would where would someone find that detector that you just mentioned so it's yeah. just the internet or, or there could you go to like a an rei or something um i would just go on to the internet. There are various companies that sell these, you know, I'm sure Amazon has a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, you're, you know, we used to bring uh, very powerful flashlights, you can get basically this, those uh, half million candle watt hunters lights, uh, which are extremely bright. Um, so, but you have to be careful using them because you cannot shine them as a person's eyes. It could damage them, but we would bring those. Those are really cool because they shine up. They're very dramatic. And uh, these days people are bringing those little laser pointers, uh, but you have to be very careful with those. Oh yeah. You could blind somebody um, with them. Um, not only that, they're illegal to flash at aircraft. They, you will be prosecuted if they find you uh, because it's, we're blind for, for the pilot. laser or for the the high-powered light or both the laser okay um, the high-powered light not so much probably still not a good idea but that's not going to completely dazzle a pilot but those lasers are very focused beams mm -hmm. and uh yeah people have been prosecuted for shining them at you know conventional aircraft and yeah I so for the audience i would highly recommend using the flashlight and not the not, not the yeah. laser yeah, that, and definitely do not, I mean, if you have a laser, that's fine. Just don't shine it at any craft. And if you see what something you can't identify, don't shine it at it. Because I've talked to contactees who have, you know, brought this up and they're like, no, do not shine it. They don't like it. They will leave. But if you're next to it, that's fine. Uh, so that is another tool. So there are various technological tools, but ultimately, the trick to all this, and there's a lot more focus on this currently, is consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, is meditation. And uh, the reason this works, and this is very effective, and uh, is that this is how these guys communicate. What we're dealing with is not you know, a mysterious phenomenon. These are people. We're not the only people in the universe. And if you look into this phenomena, you will see at some point that what we're dealing with is people like us. People like us from elsewhere, they're more alike us than different. They have eyes, they have a nose, they have mouth, they have heads, arms, you know, they wear clothes, they fly craft. These are people. 
and they communicate through telepathy. People who have contact with, quote, ETs are generally communicated with telepathically. And this can be through sort of conceptually and imagery or in your home language. I mean, if you speak Spanish, they will come and say, hola, <laughs> or, or if it's, you know, French, whatever, no, bonjour. They will generally speak in your home language, your primary language. And uh, the point is they are very telepathic. And almost always when anyone has contact, it's mental. And so if you go out there and you all meditate and you sit in a circle and you put out the thought, I'd like to see a UFO. This is highly effective. And I've done this myself with the CSETI group for years. And yeah, let's, let's address that directly. So uh, now that we kind of have a packing list and you're, you're already starting to go into this, um, what, what are the procedures to, to actually do this? And, 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 and just for the, the audience, you actually did this on the um, Keeping Up with the Cardassians show, right? You explained how to, you actually appeared on the show and explained how to do that. I think it's um, season 20 episode four or five something like that people can find you on that yeah it was on one of their last shows they did yeah they contacted me because they you know heard about my research and you know i did this for the travel channel i did one of their shows i did it for the show encounters and they showed up on each of these times i think they um oh, i mean wow. it was um, so this isn't as you know, difficult to do as you might think. Yeah. So, so what are, what are the steps to do? I mean, you already started yeah. talking into it. Oh, and then one, one quick question before you go into it. Is this something you can do alone or do you have to be with a group to do it? You can absolutely do it alone. Okay. Um, I think it's more fun to do it with a little group and perhaps even more effective. And what I found is it's most effective if you bring someone who's having contact um, already, you know, has had a lot of sightings, someone who's a, a, what I would call a contactee, an experiencer, mm -hmm. and also someone who's a UFO virgin, <laughs> um, someone who really wants to see a UFO and hasn't, because we will go out there and sometimes nothing, often things don't show up. It's not like you go out every time something shows up. It, mm -hmm. uh, no, not at all. I would say one out of five, one out of 10 times that we went out there. Uh, we would see something. But what I noticed is when it worked best is we had a small group of five to 10 people. You go out late at night, not so much nine or 10, but you know, anywhere from midnight to 3 a.m. is probably your best bet. And in, in an area where there is known recent activity, this is not a prerequisite prerequisite by any means uh, but it definitely I think ups your chances so all, basically what you do is you bring your group of people hopefully an experiencer if you can and hopefully someone who's never seen it and uh, bring all your gear you, you find a location that is I'd say remote is better not in a huge urban area mm -hmm. uh, um, and definitely you want to do a little bit of research in terms of flight paths and regular conventional aircraft activity. 
uh, so you don't get confused, like, is this a plane <laughs> or is a helicopter? Um, research that, it's not hard to do. Uh, locate any airports nearby and so forth. And uh, find an area that's, you know, fairly remote is best and known for UFO activity and go out there late at night, sit in a circle or, you know, it doesn't have to be a circle, but do a meditation. And by that, I mean, just quiet your mind, pr project your consciousness outward and mentally say, is there anyone out there? <laughs> no, I'd like to see you put it forth with, you know, imagination, intent, emotion, uh, focus. And here is one of the keys, according to, you know, some of the research done on this is visualization. So what you want to do is you visualize your location from an aerial perspective. And this allegedly, I don't have any direct evidence of this, but this is the method that people have done that it's proven to, be, to work. Yeah, yeah. It's to visualize your location from an aerial perspective, which allows ETs to sort of uh, find you. Uh, this is the theory behind it. And uh, do that for, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. And uh, after that, you, you flash your lights upwards and, and you know, have. Make sure you have lookouts in each direction and maybe have someone lie down on their back looking straight up uh, so you're covering the full sky because often what will happen is this is very brief. They'll come swooping down, do their little thing and take off. But they want to be seen. Uh, and I've talked to a number of contactees about this. They are eager to announce their presence to people who are seeking them out. And uh, this works. I mean, I've, like I said, I've done this numerous times myself. It's not just me, or, or it's not just CSETI. There's you know other groups in various countries that have been doing this for a long time. And uh, there are like contactees who go around doing this and effectively calling down UFOs. And that's how I had some of my best sightings is going out with people who were contactees. Cause I'm like, I want to see one. And they're like, okay, I, you know, I can do this for you. And I had some really amazing sightings that way. So this is what we would call a close encounter of the fifth kind. If you want to see a UFO, there are steps you can take that will increase your chances dramatically. I mean, you can just go outside at night in your backyard, lie on your roof, whatever, and, and wait. But if you mentally call them out, you know, if you bring your flashlight, if you do these various protocols, uh, it will measurably increase your chances of having an encounter. And more, more than likely, it's going to be a simple sighting. But be prepared, because this stuff can lead to, you know, much closer encounters. Yeah, that was actually my next, well, it was my, my second uh, to next question. The first is, how long do you typically um, go have to go through these protocols before, you know, in a given session, before you just, you know, say it's not worth, is it like two hours, 10 minutes? And then the second question was exactly what you were going into. What the, you know, are there any subsequent encounters that sometimes happen that are associated with 
calling down UFOs and and having them kind of, you know, having a visitation or um, an onboard experience, whether you like it or not, or no, whether you want one or not. So, you know, those are the two questions. Yeah. Well, many times, you know, I've talked to people who did it, got it their first time out. Boom, it happened. Um, other times it takes, you know, weeks. Um, I think the more effort and dedication you put forth towards this, the more successful you're going to be. Um, if you just go out there once and well, like, it didn't happen. Um, well, <laughs> go do it for a couple of weeks. You know, do it in a... Uh, what would I say, a, a routine fashion. So if you go out there like the same time every night, I think you're more likely to do it or the same day every week because this is a, a, a predictable way that the ETs are like, okay, he's going to come out, you know, this time we're available and we can, we know he's coming or she. And uh, I think that's more effective. So if you're, you know, got a routine and it can take a couple of months. Uh, but I think if you do this for with full-on dedication and are really putting forth the effort and the focus and all of all of it, you will be successful. Uh, it might take a, a little while, but you know, and of course, I can't guarantee people are going to see stuff. Uh, but I think the more effort you put forth, yeah, the more successful you'll be. And generally, it takes a month or two, uh, depending. And a month or two of um, like doing this once a week, every mm -hmm. night. Okay. Yeah. And uh, another thing that is an interesting pattern is that we found doing it with CSETI is, you know, stuff wouldn't happen and we'd be packing up and getting ready to go. And that's when they would come. <laughs> and there are a number of times where people were like leaving the group and driving home. And that's when they saw stuff or when they're walking into their door and they start seeing stuff individually. And yeah, people have started doing this work and started having series of sightings. And in some cases, it does ramp up to full-on contact. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's super common. Uh, so I wouldn't like worry about, oh, you know, if I flash a light in the sky, are they going to come and abduct me? No, no, I would not worry about that. That's not likely to happen. Uh, but the fact is there are a lot of people who, people are into this already might already be having some level of contact and are trying to you know gain some measure of control over this and investigate and figure out what's going on here and see if they can confirm this sort of thing and if that if you kind of fall into that category that would be the type of person who's like suddenly finds themselves on board well they already knew about you you know that you probably had sightings when you were a kid and these you know, I know people who are going to UFO conventions, or people who are interested in this subject in any real way, probably um, have some level of contact or awareness of the subject already. So, are there some people who who have no experience in the past with this, but go through this these protocols, and then suddenly have regressive memories that come back? any cases like that yeah that can absolutely happen um, you know people have a real tendency to explain away debunk deny ignore anything that doesn't fit into their worldview 
And they'll say, I've never seen a UFO. I'm like, well, have you had any unexplained experiences? And they're like, well, yeah, there was that flash of light or, you know, I had weird figures entering my bedroom when I was a kid. They don't connect the dots. Right. Um, it's not unusual for someone to realize that they are a contactee in midlife, uh, honestly, because of the way people are and the way you know, we've kind of been dumbed down in society. Um, this whole UFO phenomena has been ridiculed viciously. There is a cover up. I mean, we talked about this in some of the previous shows. Mm -hmm. uh, the Air Force explanation was hoaxes, hallucinations, misperceptions. If you think you saw something, you're sadly mistaken. And people accept this because we respect authority, or we used to, until they started lying. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it behooves each person to very carefully examine their past and you know, be as objective as possible. And, you know, don't be fearful of this subject just because something is unexplained or unknown or uh, I don't, like I said, I've researched this subject for a very long time. I don't see a a anything to worry about in terms of, you know, hostility or is this dangerous or, you know, will I be abducted if I, you know, flash a light into the sky? No, no. Uh, these are people like us. And in fact, it would be much easier to prove humanity is a hostile species than any of these ETs. Uh, it's an absolutely real phenomena. It's absolutely possible to see a UFO. It's not hard to do. Um, it really is just a matter of going out there and doing the work. Where a lot of people are, are glued to their little cell phones. They're inside, they're working all day. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Turn off your TV, turn off your computer, step outside, meditate, look up. Um, there is stuff out there. Uh, so, so just to tie this to the last episode with Mount Shasta, is any any particular advice you would give to somebody going to Mount Shasta who tries to do this? In other words, you know, is the probability increased given the the location? Um, are there any recent sightings that people should be aware of before they attempt this? Uh, so there's been sort of a drop in sightings recently. Um, and according to some of the contactees I've talked about, our, our son is, you know, kind of going through coronal mass ejections and CMEs and stuff mm -hmm. like this. So this has kind of caused a drop of activity because UFOs generally use magnetic fields to sort of navigate. And this is dangerous for them <laughs> at this current time. So don't be too discouraged if you don't see anything. Uh, it doesn't mean they're not there. Uh, but yeah, it's basically, I think nighttime is the best time to see this uh, because that's, you know, stuff in the sky is much more highly visible. And uh, I think it's just a matter of dedication and uh, staying up later at night. I think is much more conducive because uh, there's less, you know, prying eyes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I think on occasions they are, are wanting to show themselves to certain people and not others, which they do have the ability to do. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's, an, that's a whole interesting, <laughs> like, a whole, like who, who, who don't they want to show themselves to? Uh, 
I think that they have no interest in, you know, freaking out people who are completely skeptical. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. If they they don't want to traumatize people in any way, so they're not going to come down and completely freak out someone who's just not ready to accept their presence. This is, I think, one of the reasons we don't have open official contact, because there's a segment of our population who are dug in to their skepticism. They don't want to know, and they're they're not ready. They they just are so fear based or strict in their thinking for whatever reason whether it's you know science skepticism or what have you uh that they you know respect that they respect a person's autonomy they're not going to blow apart your belief system but if someone is out there really searching and wanting to know they love that and that, and I'm, I'm saying this from a very uh, a little bit not, speculative, just based on your review of the evidence and your conversations yeah. with um, contactees. This exactly. Is, I mean, I, I, I can march out cases that will support this, is what I'm trying to say. It's not pure speculation. Right. This, this is absolutely something I found, you know, patterns in these cases. Is that, and this is why I say, you know, if, if you really, really want to see a UFO, um, Follow these protocols, bring a contactee because they are effectively in communication and bring someone who's very eager to see one, open-minded and ready because those are the types of people ETs are like, yes, this person is ready. Let's show them that the, this is a real. Uh, and they, they're slowly waking up humanity and wanting us to sort of come together and realize that we are not alone in this universe, that will you know, it's our prejudices, our divisiveness, our inability to spiritually evolve that is retarding our um, chances of open official contact. Mm -hmm. um, if we can come together and overcome wars and greed and corruption, they would be here overnight. I mean, it is our own <laughs> responsibility to re reach them halfway. You know, they're not going to come down and just freak everybody out until we are ready. I think we're close. I think most people are ready. Uh, that is just sort of my assessment of the current situation. But this is a really in interesting times here on Earth. Yeah, uh, they've for been warning, good and bad. I mean, they've been warning us for years how close we are to, you know, environmental collapse and the dangers of nuclear proliferation and you know how close we are to being in a very dangerous situation so we will see what happens with our future but ultimately i'm hopeful about it because we do need change uh, we can't really continue on our current path it's not sustainable uh, at some point we do need to have peace on earth mm -hmm. uh, and this is, I think, one of the reasons why we don't have to worry, because anyone who's reached the ability to travel between the stars has reached a technological level where they can do this and a spiritual level where they haven't destroyed themselves and have overcome that sort of thing. You know, there's a very famous science fiction writer, Clifford Simak. He's my fam favorite science fiction writer, actually. And he never wrote about alien invasions. And he says, I just don't find it credible. <laughs> that any ETs would come here to kidnap people and use them as slave labor or take over our planet for resources and so forth, because they wouldn't need that. 
They already have access to all the resources they need. It's just not credible to me, is what he said. And I'm like, yes, I totally agree. Uh, so this is just one of many reasons, you know, just from a firsthand contactee's perspective. No, we don't have to worry. This is such good news for us. We're on the verge of being welcomed into a galactic community that is real. Just look at the, how many stars are out there. We're not alone. I mean, I understand skepticism. I do. I was a skeptic. Look at the evidence. Do your homework. You will be shocked how much evidence there is in support of this phenomena. It's real. And you can see a UFO if you want. Now, if you could only debate Neil deGrasse Tyson and get, get him on the right side of like of reality. I <laughs> yeah, I wonder about him. Because <laughs> I feel, you know, if I did an article on this, astronomers who have seen UFOs, and there is a long, long list. Um, Clyde Tambaugh, the guy who discovered Pluto, had two very dramatic sightings. Uh, there's a long list of astronomers who have seen them. Uh, Dr. Lincoln LaPaz, mm -hmm. um, he saw UFOs on numerous occasions. A lot of these astronomers have. <laughs> if you're an astronomer, you're much more likely to see a UFO because you're out there looking yeah, at the sky. Looking up in the sky, yeah. And look it up. There, there's some very famous websites. of like, here's 50 astronomers who have seen UFOs. <laughs> And Neil deGrasse Tyson knows this. I wonder about him. I'm like, come on, but <laughs> I, I mean, uh, he's, oh. it's it's almost like a personal. <laughs> it's like a personal thing with him. It's it's kind of it seems to extend beyond the the realm of evidence. And yeah, he better and, watch yeah. out. Naughty, naughty. I'm gonna send the ET to him and have him taken on board. And <laughs> <laughs> mm, I think he might know already this is UFOs and just protecting his reputation or is on the wrong side of history. Mm -hmm. In other is, words, aligned with folks who want to keep it yeah. under wraps. I, maybe. I can't say for sure. I don't know him, yeah. you know, and I don't want to accuse anyone of anything, but I feel like anyone who's educated, educates themselves on this subject, objectively looks at the evidence, cannot walk away unconvinced. I mean, <sighs> Well, on that note, Preston. <laughs> on that note, Preston. Yeah, if I do get you started, we'll be on another another hour and a half. And I know I want to be cognizant of your time, but I want to thank you for coming on again. As always, very illuminating, enlightening, and thought provoking. And I look forward to continuing the dialogue over time. <laughs> hey, I hope so. Yeah, I love this subject. Thanks, Sean. All right, thank you, Preston. <laughs> If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time.